for the tenderness that we see in this passage. Uh, even with the peculiarities that are there, uh, Jesus is so near and dear to the hurting, and we're so thankful for that. Uh, Holy Spirit, lead us, open our eyes and open our ears. We are going to need spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to understand what you have for us today. Not just to understand it, but to receive it. Um, so God, help us to understand what is plain before us, and help us to trust you in it. Work powerfully. I trust that you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you remember when we first started the book of John, I uh, started off in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, because I wanted you to understand what the book of John is all about. John gives us a purpose statement at the end of his letter, at the end of his book, and he says to us kind of the cliff note version of the whole book, and he said this, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written, these signs which we find from John 1 through John 11 here today, there are seven signs, John the curator of signs, he's going to offer them up, put these signs, but Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, not written in this book, but these signs, these are written so that you may believe, number one, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then two, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's the point of the book. It's evangelistic, but it's also instructive to those who have believed. So that people would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And secondly, that we would have life in his name. Those who have believed in God would have life in his name. That's the point. The book breaks down very cleanly from part one of the book to part two of the book. John chapter 1 through 11 deals with the first three years of Jesus' ministry. And then John chapter 12 to John chapter 21 deals with Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life. Today, we're finishing up, we're going to be looking up the last of the seven signs. Next week, we'll look at how people responded to these signs. But the last of the seven signs before the biggest sign of Jesus' death and resurrection in the book of John. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, but here's what we have to know before we get into this chapter, before we get into John chapter 11. Uh, and I want you to hear me say this. This is radically important for us to get because we cannot understand John chapter 11 without this fundamental truth that we see throughout the gospel of John in the, and in the Bible as a whole. Um, God is not man-centered. Let me say that again. God is not man-centered. God is God-centered. This is why Brad Pitt rejected, the famous actor, rejected God because he got uncomfortable with God demanding worship from people. God is not man-centered. He is God-centered. It changes everything. Think about this. Heaven, heaven, when we think about heaven, God's presence right now, and one day God will come and dwell here with us, restore everything, but now God in his presence, heaven and heaven throughout all eternity, heaven is not about you. Heaven is for you, but it's not about you. It's about the lamb who was slain. Slain for sinners. And this resurrected lamb maintains this title, the lamb of God, slain for sinners. Heaven is not about you. It's for you, but not about you. And consider the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus prays, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the famous Lord's Prayer, how do we understand the words of Jesus? 
Do we understand the words of Jesus and the prayer of Jesus to be man-centered or God-centered? Do you understand that request, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How, how do we understand that prayer? And if you think heaven is man-centered, then your understanding of Jesus' request is going to be man-centered, human-centered as well. Jesus, give us what we want. Because heaven has all of these things that we want. We think heaven is man-centered. And so we think that prayer primarily is about bringing all things that I get up here, down here, right now. Comfortable life, things that I want. But heaven is about God's glory. And God's will on earth, as it is in heaven, is about the spread of the glory of God. Habakkuk prophesies that there'll be a day that all the heavens, I mean all the earth will be surrounded, will be filled with the glory of God. The Great Commission telling people about Jesus is for personal salvation, but it is for something greater than that. It's for the spread of the glory of God throughout this globe. John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. So we tell people about Jesus so they will get what they need. They need to glorify God. That's what this earth needs. More than they need to be saved, which the earth, we need to be saved, but we're saved with a purpose, to honor, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God is God-centered, and this is really good news. Let me just tell you this, if you don't know. You are not the center of the universe. And neither am I. God is the point of everything, not me. Jesus even prays something radically offensive. And again, if he doesn't mean what he says, he's either what C.S. Lewis says, liar, lunatic, or Lord. This is crazy talk unless it's real. Jesus said in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Why? Why does he desire you to be with him where he is? To see my glory. That you, have, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Here's what Jesus wants for you this morning. Here's what he wants for me. He wants you and me to see his glory. That's what John chapter 11 is all about. Seeing the glory of God. That's what he wants for us. You and I exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if we don't get this, I'm telling you, I promise, we cannot understand John chapter 11. It's going to sound cruel. It's going to sound harsh. It's going to sound confusing. But if you'll understand the glory of God is good for you, the greatest good, what you need more than anything else is to worship God through everything. If you understand that, then you can understand John chapter 11 by God's grace. So John chapter 11, let's look at verse 1 through 3 because I want you to see the love that Jesus has for Mary and for Martha and for his buddy Lazarus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. In the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I want you to see before anything the love that Jesus has for this family. He really loves this family. And not only that, he loves you. He really loves you. You know, when the Bible says God is love, now love is not God. 
God is love. Love is not God. That's important to understand that distinction. But Jesus really loved this family. He spent time with Mary and with Martha and with Lazarus. He loved them. And Mary and Martha, when Lazarus became ill, became sick, they thought, we need, Jesus can do something about this. We need to inform him of this. And so they get a runner, and they send this runner to go tell Jesus, he who you love is ill. They don't tell what the runner to say. They just say, inform Jesus of this. He'll know what to do. They don't send a request out even. They just, at first, just want Jesus to be informed, Lazarus is sick. Now look at verse 5. I want you to see this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This point is unbelievably clear. Can you see it? Jesus loved this family. It's impossible to miss. He loved Lazarus, loved these women, spent time with them. They were friends. He had, you could even say, a special love for them. He spent more time with them than he did just the average people from city to city. He knew them well, and they knew him well. And so what will Jesus do when word comes his way? What will he do for this family that he loves so much? What will he do for this man, Lazarus? Well, we're going to see some interesting things. We're going to see both unlikely words, so unlikely words, and we're going to see an unlikely action. Unlikely words and unlikely action. Look at verse 4 again. Just read it. I'll read it again. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Pause. Many of you know this story. Lazarus dies. Jesus is already giving us the direction. He's taking us to what he's going to do already. He knows what he's going to do for Lazarus. He's going to say it again here in just a little bit. I must go and awaken him. But then Jesus does something very unlikely. He actually assigns an answer to the question, why? So many of us, when we go through difficulty, we want answers to our questions for why. Why is this happening? And so often, this is the case. You can either try to get answers to the why, or you can get God's presence. But if you demand answers, more often than not, that will fog your senses and your eyes to Jesus' actual nearness in front of you. So often we just simply don't get answers in this lifetime. But this is an interesting scenario because Jesus doesn't tell this to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He tells this to the runner and his disciples here. He's going to assign a purpose for Lazarus' illness. Unlikely words and unlikely actions. He's going to give an answer to why this sickness. Here's what he says. It, the illness, is for the glory of of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Purpose. Why does this exist in Lazarus? Jesus tells us it, the illness does not lead to death, it, illness, is for the glory of God. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be revealed through it. And so this is all, it's kind of like Jesus is giving, giving us commentary on John chapter 11. Because we can kind of collect everything that comes after that from the tears that are cried, from the questions that most assuredly were asked in the prayer closet of Mary or Martha or even Lazarus leading up to his death. 
Everything that happens leading up to this, the tears, the heartache, the pain, the confusion, the death of Lazarus, and then the resurrection of Lazarus, the collected whole, here's why all of John chapter 11 happens. The glory of God. That's what Jesus says, plainly. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The whole episode was in accordance with Jesus' love for this family, and it was, in fact, and we'll see this here, the tenderness of Jesus as it comes out as he talks to Martha and cries with Mary. But the whole episode, this thing was good for this family because the glory of God is going to be revealed. It's astounding. And what people might need more What people need and what this family needed more than Jesus coming immediately was to discover the greatness and the glory of God through whatever means necessary. And this is good for them. And then Jesus does something. He says something unlikely, but then Jesus does something unlikely. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus, again, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And verse 6. So, this word connects the sentence before to the sentence that's coming. And it connects Jesus' love for this family to his actions. He loves them, therefore he's going to do something about it. This is how the English language works. He loves them, so he's going to do something about it. Now Jesus loved them, verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? He loved them, so he stayed where he was? Doesn't the first impulse within us, doesn't it, don't we think the verse should read, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he came right away. Doesn't that seem more natural? Like, why don't he just say that? It would make sense. It would, it would seem to just, like, Okay, so he immediately went and took care of it. But it doesn't. It says, so he loved them, so he stayed two days longer. He didn't come immediately. It feels like if you loved them, you would drop everything and go immediately. But nope, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus delayed comforting Martha and Mary and healing Lazarus because he desired something greater for them than the immediate comfort and healing, what immediate comfort and healing would bring. He desired something more for them. More for them. And so he waited. There's something good here for them that they need, that they don't know they need, that he is going to offer them and bring to them. And oh, by the way, he'll comfort them along the way. We need to remember when we get to responses of Mary and Martha, we need to remember that he was loving them as he waited. He was not being cold to them. He wasn't maniacally sitting back, twiddling his thumbs and thinking, I'm just going to come save the day. I don't care about their pain. Not that at all. He loved them. We need to keep that in mind as we go and talk about the response. Now, what happens next Jesus, at the bidding of his father, because he's always doing what he sees his father doing, and not doing anything he doesn't see his father doing. In verse 6, there's a change. Excuse me, sorry, we're in verse 7, there's a change. 
Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea. Let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things to him, he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and awaken him. So Jesus knows what he's doing, okay? But I will go and awaken him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll, he'll recover. He'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin. Later we'll know Thomas is doubting Thomas. Here, he's Thomas the Valiant. Thomas said, let us go also that we may die with him. We're not going to let Jesus go without a fight. If he gets stoned, we get stoned. So Jesus gives word back to Judea. They say, Rabbi, we, do you just remember the last scene? They wanted to kill you. You can't go back there. Bethany, the town of Bethany, is a couple miles from Jerusalem. Just a little walk. We can't go there, kind of like a suburb town of Jerusalem. We can't go there. And then Jesus said, but it's time to go. Lazarus is asleep. He's dead. And then in verse 15, he says something again that's just peculiar. He says... For your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. He said, I was glad that I'm not there. Now, if I was Mary and Martha and Lazarus and somebody had left their phone on in the pocket, in their pocket, and Thomas, you know, kind of called him and piped him in and they were FaceTiming on the way and I heard Jesus say this, I would be kind of upset. You're glad that you weren't there for What? What do you mean? Pink did some commentaries on John, and his commentaries are just really good, really insightful. There's some things like with anyone that uh, aren't the most insightful, but this was really interesting. He says this, how perfect are the ways of God. Let me just ask you this. Do you know that, that God's ways are perfect? Jesus makes no mistakes here. None whatsoever. This is right, good, loving, compassionate, caring. His ways are perfect. If Martha and Mary had their wish granted, not only would they, and Lazarus too, I want you to hear this, not only would they have been denied a far greater blessing, but the disciples would have missed that which must have strengthened their faith. And too, Christ would have been deprived of an opportunity which allowed him to give the mightiest display of power that he had ever made prior to his own death. And the whole church as well would have been the loser. We wouldn't be hearing about this in this way today. How this should show us both the wisdom and the goodness of God in thwarting our wishes in order that his own infinitely better will may be done. Now here's the deal. Jesus had a plan through all this. It wasn't a purposeless delay. It wasn't purposeless. He loved him, so he delayed. He finally gets there to Bethany. 
And he has two interactions, first with Martha and then with Mary. In keeping with their personalities, Martha, ever the busy servant, she seems to be the boisterous one, the one in the room that enjoys talking. And Mary seems to be the quiet listener, learning at the feet of Jesus, choosing the better. In this, instance, sees, or in this, in this scenario, the, the, it plays out kind of similar to that. Jesus comes close. In verse 17, we can read as follows. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated at the house. Personality. Martha wants to go. She wants to talk to him. She wants to plead with him. She wants to lay out her concern. Martha said to Jesus in verse 21, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Immediately, she's not thinking right now. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Jesus is so tender toward Martha. You know, when it comes time to grief and counseling, and I've done my, a little bit of counseling over the last couple years and, and still do marriage counseling. And by the way, if you ever need any counseling, just need somebody to talk to, talk to me. Talk to Jordan. We would love to do that. If you ever need marriage counseling, by the way, just come to my house on a Sunday afternoon. We'll schedule it out. And we'll talk and would love to pray with you and, and, and try to help in any way that I can. But in counseling and in the scriptures, Romans chapter 12 tells us to weep with those who weep. And we are to do that. But sometimes we also, that's not all it says about grief. Sometimes people need to be spoken to and they need to be reminded of truth. Martha was a woman like that. Martha needed to, in her grief, be spoken to. Martha will be, Mary will be wept with. Martha is spoken to. Jesus is so personal with us, and he knows how to comfort us and help us. And she pleads with him, if you'd only been there. But Jesus comforts, they're not one size fit all. They're not in a standard issue. They're not just here, one size fits all, just wear this, put it on, and it just kind of looks weird and feels weird. It's not tailored customly to you. But the way Jesus comes to us and comforts us is so personal, and it's so tender, and it's so sweet. And he knew about Martha that she needed to hear some things. And so he began to speak to her. She needed to be reminded that Jesus has power over death. And she needed to be reminded that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. As is the case most weeks, I'm covering a lot of verses in these big narratives. And I'm going to miss so much that's there. And that's why I ask you and plead with you to go study your Bible. Read and pray. So much more we could talk about of that selection of scripture there. But I want to move now from how Martha, Jesus responds to Martha to how Jesus responds to Mary. Jesus turns to Mary. Or excuse me, Jesus goes and calls for Mary. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. 
And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where, Mary, where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house were consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to Jesus, and, and now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had if you'd been there, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come also weeping, he was deeply moved. Moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And astonishing words in verse 35. The thing you memorized first to get the sticker in Sunday school. Jesus wept. Jesus wanted Mary to come. He loved her. He didn't want her grieving alone in that house with all these wailing women. By the way, at a Jewish funeral, even the poor of the Jewish people would be expected at a funeral to hire two flute players and a wailing woman. The Jewish people knew how to grieve in ways that we do not. We run from grief in every way imaginable. The Jewish people leaned into it, worked through it, processed it, wrestled with it, didn't shy away from it. But here's Mary, wailing women, wailing Jews who had come out from Jerusalem, grieving with her. And with Martha, the tenderness of Jesus comes out through words. But with Mary, the tenderness of Jesus comes out through tears. He was moved greatly, we see in verse 33. And in fact, in the Greek here, the Greek word is, it references actually, and if you look down at the bottom of your Bible, it, there should be a little number and kind of a, a reference at the bottom where it says, or was indignant, angry. And this word in the Greek is in reference to the way a horse stomps and is grunts internally, this frustration within Jesus. Now, we're not told exactly, we're told that he was moved in spirit at this situation. We're not exactly told what specific thing moved him. Clearly, it was Mary and Martha, there was a piece of it. But was it death? Was it this fallen world? What was it specifically? The text doesn't tell us exactly why he was indignant in this way, but I think, personally... Take this with a grain of salt. It was because of the universal pain that's caused by death. In front of him is the very thing that he came to overcome. Death. In front of him is what he was about to walk into personally. Death. But it moved him. He wept. So I want you to catch this. This whole scene, remember, the illness, everything that happened is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be revealed. But God did not maniacally bring this family into pain and did not maniacally delay comfort. In time, Jesus drew near and he weeps with Mary, and he weeps with you. 
He's tender with us. The deepest things imaginable, the deepest pain that you've ever experienced, it wasn't random. He weeps with you. He's not unaware of Mary's pain or yours, even though he has a plan for that pain. He walks with us through the fire and through the flood. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock. If I get Jesus weeping with me, the preciousness of He was tender. Mary would never have got to experience the comfort of Jesus that she would remember most assuredly for the rest of her life. Never get to experience the tenderness of Jesus without the illness of Lazarus. The Jews respond to Jesus' tears. Could he not have stopped this? Look how much he loved them. And the answer to them back is, yes, he could have. He can do anything. He's the God of the universe. He can stop whatever he wants to stop. Do you think he's powerless? But he didn't. In verse 38 through 44, this kind of crescendo moment of what all this was leading up to, all of this collectively being good for this family, we see Jesus coming to speak to a dead man. Now the timeline on this is interesting because it was about a day's journey from where he was to Bethany. Uh, the Jews, after day three, would officially label somebody dead. No longer could they be resuscitated. This is day four. His delay was intentional. Now they're thinking his corpse is rotting. He is absolutely, most assuredly dead. It's day four. This couldn't be just him awakening him or just like giving him some smelling salts and waking him up. If he's going to come back alive, his body's decomposing. He's probably not been embalmed. So here he is in this grave, and Jesus wants to go to this grave. And then look at verse 38, deeply moved again, this... <clears throat> Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid, stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! His dead heart started beating. The flesh that had beginning to rot came back to life. The blood that stopped flowing, the coldness that came, the stiffness in the joints, immediately it's back. The man had died, who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus was dead. 
He was powerless. He could not make himself alive. Mary and Martha could do anything. They couldn't do anything. The wailing women, the grieving Jews, they were powerless. Death, it, ha- it appeared, had won. The very last of these seven signs happening before the resurrection, Jesus is showing us that he has power over death. Are you kidding me? Power over death? In verse 40, Jesus said, you would see the glory of God. That's what this whole thing is about. If you would believe me, not Lazarus would come back to life, but if you would believe me, you would see the glory of God. And oh, by the way, it just so happens that Lazarus coming back to life would reveal the glory of God. And if you would believe him, you would see the glory of God. That's what this family needed. They needed to know the power of Christ, the resurrection power. They needed to know the glory of God, which is better than if he would have immediately just taken it all away. These memories would go with them forever. Lazarus, come out. Verse 42, another purpose was assigned in Jesus' prayer before he prays this. Did you catch it? In verse 42, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said it on the account of the people standing around. And they're all like, what? Praying, and then he's like, got a secret message in his prayers. A lot of preachers do that. I do that sometimes. I'll pray, but like, I'm praying like the sermon a little bit, you know? Here's what he does. He says it, prays, this is that they may believe in me. So he's saying this, this thing again, this whole collective whole is for a purpose, that they, this group, would believe. Now here's the deal. Why did it happen? Well, in this particular case, because there's people who need to hear about the story of Lazarus, not just being kept from dying. There's people who need to see Jesus comforting Mary and Martha, and this was good for them and instructive for us. They had no idea that their tears would result in us talking about it 2,000 years later. They had no idea that their pain was purposeful. They had no idea that they were being used for a greater purpose than themselves. And I'll just say this. God will use you at your expense for your glory. Church history says this. The scriptures say it all over the place. And the people of God, the people of God are willing. If whatever, whatever comes my way, God's going to get glory through it. Period. God, give me the strength to give you honor and glory and show this world, no matter how bad it may be and no matter how great it is, even if it's the greatest, and I live an amazingly awesome life, but here's what I want you to know. God is better even than my amazingly awesome life. And you need to know that. That God's glory will sustain you in ways that my wife and my little boys can never sustain me. He's even better than them. He's just... He's amazing. I need the glory of God, and so do you. So he speaks. Pink again. A.W. Pink says this. He came to reveal both in his own person by dying and rising again and the works of his hands here in rising Lazarus to remove the wages of death, to undo the work which sin had wrought, to conquer him that had the power of death to swallow up death in victory, this indeed was a special manifestation of God's glory. To be sure, the healing of Lazarus was temporary, like all earthly healings which we should pray for, ask, and expect God would occasionally bring 
expecting that he does do this today, heal. But this was a temporary healing. Lazarus did not receive a resurrected body. Lazarus would die again. But because of Jesus, he would one day, not this day, the day that he rose from the grave that day, one day he had a better resurrection coming. Where his body would be resurrected and would never grow old and he would never die and he would never be subject to illness again. You see, resurrection was coming for Lazarus. Lastly, I want you to see this as a metaphor. This is a picture of what John is doing through the Gospel of John. He's wanting to show the power of what it means to become a Christian. And this perfectly illustrates what it means to become a Christian. Jesus didn't come, somebody said this, preachers rip it off like crazy, but it's good. Okay, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good people. Jesus came to set captives free, but he came to make dead people live. Dead people live. He came to speak to the graveyard, Hank. He came to the mass of humanity. And the dead humanity, spiritually dead, cannot, like Lazarus, who couldn't make himself well, who couldn't make himself come alive, like Mary and Martha, who were powerless to make Lazarus come back from the grave, like the wailing women and the grieving Jews who could do nothing about this death, Lazarus surely couldn't do anything about it, but Jesus could. And brother or sister in Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. As my dad used to say, dead as a doornail. You didn't have a spiritual pulse. You were not in a coma. You were not needing to be resuscitated. You didn't simply have a disease called sickness or disease called sin. You were dead. You were a corpse rotting in a graveyard. And Jesus came to your dead heart, your dead soul, and he said, wake up. And you did. And you might remember that date. You might remember that season. He came to make dead people alive. That's what all of John is about and talking to be about being born again. Jesus does the impossible. He does something that sinners can't do for themselves. And the only hope for a lost world out there is that if they would believe, they would see the glory of God. The only hope for a lost and dying world is that Jesus would go, and he did to you, and speak to them and say, Nick, it's time. Wake up. And whenever that date was for Nick years ago, Nick woke up. Life came in his veins, and he became spiritually alive. In fact, Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for you, made you alive together with Christ. God did something to you. And that's what Jesus did for you. A non-believer, I just want to ask you a question. If you're in here and you don't believe in Jesus, I'm asking you this morning to do right here, verse 42, that they may believe that you sent me. I'm asking that you would believe and see the glory of God. And if you do, I promise there's going to be a day where you see, I hope, that if you do that, you believe, you see the glory of God. There's going to be a day that God opens your eyes to the fact that he, that you just weren't weak and you didn't come on your own, but he's calling you out of the tomb today. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Your purposes are amazing. Your ways are certainly higher than our ways, and your thoughts are certainly higher than our thoughts. And so we want to just lean into that. We want to trust you. We want to trust your word. Father, help me. God, if I was unfaithful to your word in any way, God, I pray that you would work perfectly in our hearts. And uh, your word is the authority here, not Jared, not what I think. Your word, what your word says. And so uh, I just ask that you would be thunderous in our hearts today. And Jesus, if there's anybody here that needs to be comforted through words that were just spoken from your word, or maybe tears that are cried, help us to be sensitive to that. If we need to throw an arm around a shoulder of the person next to us, if anybody here is in deep grief right now, Jesus knows, he knows, and he is coming tenderly to you. And so I pray that they would reach out a hand, and a brother or sister would look to them and just weep with them, and they would recognize that it's not just this person weeping with me, but this is Jesus weeping with me. Your tenderness and power are amazing. Holy Spirit, just work. lead, help us to sing to you with hearts set on fire for your glory. That's why we exist, to glorify you and enjoy you forever. That is what we need. For in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is the best news in the universe that you would call us to glorify you, because there is in your presence fullness of joy forevermore. Rid us of ourselves and help us to find joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.